Hey there, my name is Dean Leverton and I'm the host of Upstanders, a stand-up podcast series. We have conversations with the dream chasers and change makers who deserve to be heard. In this episode, I chat with Rabbi Jackie Ninio, Rabbi at Emmanuel Synagogue in Sydney, and also the third ever Australian-born female rabbi. She's a powerful and vital voice of compassion and justice in our community on topics such as asylum seekers and marriage equality, both of which we discuss in depth in this episode. We also spoke about everything from what it means to her to be a female rabbi, the impact that gender has on her role as a rabbi and community leader, and how and when she chooses to speak out on the contentious and controversial issues. I really hope you enjoy listening as much as I did interviewing. Rabbi Jackie Minio, thank you for joining us on the Stand Up Podcast. Thanks for inviting me, I'm very excited. So I'm here in Sydney, um, in actually the Stand Up office, um, so thanks for coming in. Um, really pumped to, to be speaking to you today. Um, I did before for the interview, well, I did some research, uh, as I do for these things. Very robust research, Wikipedia Fabulous. included. Excellent. And what I found on Wikipedia... Do I have a Wikipedia entry? Um, no, but your father does. My father does. So, and I that's do. what I came across. I typed in <laughs> Jackie Nino on Google, and one of the first things that came up was your father's Wikipedia page, who, for the benefit of our audience, was the Lord Mayor of Adelaide at some point. Yeah, he was. It's a fun that's fact. Right. About that is a fun fact. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. No, it was great. Special lineage. Okay, that's right. I didn't get many of the perks of office, though, because I was at rabbinical school uh, overseas most of the time that he was the Lord Mayor. Well, his first, his second term, the first term I was around Adelaide, and it was great. I thought that was an interesting thing just to find out. I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I wonder what it's like to be a... But it sounds like you, you didn't get to experience much of it, so... I did, but um, that first term, but the, yeah, the second term, not so much, so... And so you're from Adelaide, right? I am and from Adelaide, You yeah. moved to Sydney... For this job? Yes. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in Adelaide and I worked there as a lawyer before I um, came, went into the rabbinate and worked in mostly family law and cool. I did that in Adelaide as well and then went overseas to study for rabbinical school and then when I finished I was determined to come back to Australia. I felt it was really important to have homegrown rabbis working here. There aren't that many of yeah. us. So I, uh, luckily for me at that time there were a number of jobs around the country so I interviewed and this was the best match for me. So, and was b- being a rabbi always on the cards? Like, or were you like, I'm going to be a career lawyer? No, law was. You know, it's really interesting. I had friends who were passionate about law yeah. and loved it, and that was never me. I yeah. think I went quite naively into law, wanting to change the world and make things better for people. And it's really hard to do yeah. that. And I worked in family law, as I said. I knew I had. I wanted to work with people and so sort of corporations and insurance law, those kinds of things was never going to be mine. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but family law is really emotionally very difficult. Yeah, and it's rough, intense yeah. stuff you're dealing with. So even before I finished my law degree, I decided I was going to try this rabbinic cool. thing. Um, and years before, when I did my bat mitzvah, I was 13 and um, we had a female rabbinic student come from America and she came um, just for the American summer and I thought she was amazing. And I said to my parents, you know, I'm going to be a rabbi. And they went, yeah, that's nice to hear. <laughs> like, like I was going to be the prime minister and I was going to be a ballet dancer, you know, like all those things. Seems far-fetched. Yeah, and they just, I don't think, 
anyone, including me really, took it that seriously. So every time I considered it growing up, I always kind of thought, oh, it's just because I admired that yeah. rabbi and, you know, those kinds of things. But um, after a while, we ended up having a rabbi in our congregation in Adelaide and he approached me and said, you know, have you ever thought about being wow. a rabbi? And I said to him, oh, don't be ridiculous. Why would I do that? Were there but... other female <laughs> rabbis around at the time? Like other than that one you met? Yes. By then there were. Um, it turned out the one I met was one of the first women ordained, but wow. in, when I was 13, I didn't <laughs> yeah, have that consciousness that. at yeah. all. Yeah, that's right. Um, but by then, yeah, there were um, a couple of, there had been already more than one female rabbi working in Melbourne, um, never in Adelaide at that point. But I, I actually didn't think my gender would be such a really? big thing. And it actually has become, a, it's a major focus of mm. my rabbinic life, actually, in a way that I didn't expect. For you personally or from outsiders thinking sort of, um, you know, holding up as this female rabbi or is it actually you personally, you, you think as a female rabbi there's a special role in the way you act out your responsibilities? I think I've come to appreciate the second yeah. over time but yeah. mostly it was coming from the outside. I kind yeah. of felt like, you know, I'm a rabbi, there are women rabbis, there are men rabbis, it's no big yeah. deal. Um, but I was the first female rabbi at the, our congregation in Wallara and... Um, when I started, you know, they hired me and they were ready, you know, yes, we're ready for a female rabbi, but I don't think the, like the reality is kind of different from, (laughs) from the, the theory. Um, and so it, and also in the non-Jewish world, it was a major focus because I think there's this impression that Judaism is a very patriarchal, um, old fashioned kind of religion. And when they think of a rabbi, they definitely don't think of me. Yeah. So... Uh, there was a lot of interest and because my dad was the Lord Mayor so I went off to rabbinical school and you know he but he said once that uh, he thinks it helped him be re-elected because any guy who had a You'd daughter who was going to go be a rabbi <laughs> couldn't be all bad you know? <laughs> but um, it it's so there was a lot of attention and a lot of focus on that decision and when I came here the first along with Rabbi Alison Conyer we were the first women in New South Wales female rabbis and so I think there's been a lot of um, focus on that, but it's really interesting. I feel now, I used to get really upset that people would say, I don't want Rabbi Nick, we really like you, we think you're lovely, but, but we want the male rabbi to do right. that, whatever. But, and I used to focus a lot on that, but now I realize that there are probably as many people who want me because I am a woman right. as don't want me because yeah. I'm a woman. But it still puts gender very much at the center in of, the front. Yeah. yeah, And it's hard to know sometimes what's gender, what's, personality yeah. you know you meet three female rabbis you're going to meet three very different people yeah. and so I think it's kind of a combination of all those things but. yeah I mean there's definitely the symbolism of it I think has a you know is is huge I think like you know that's I think for a lot of people that's that's a big thing that you know there's a female rabbi and if there's a female rabbi speaking out in the Jewish community then I think that's a that's a powerful thing symbolically at the very least it was, for, it was for really interesting I um one of the Nicest comments. Well, it depends how you take it. I'll tell you the comment, and then you, you, you'll hear why. I'll tell you. <laughs> so, um, someone in my first years in the congregation, they came up to me and they said, "You know, Rabbi, seeing you on the bima doing those things and reading from the Torah, I think if you can do it, anyone can do it." And I was kind of like, I took it in the best possible way. And then later, I thought about it. And I thought, oh, maybe she wasn't. <laughs> but I think what she meant was that it's hard if you don't someone yeah. doing it to imagine what it would be like you know and Absolutely. so I think having then you know when girls come and say you know I want to be a rabbi like you like it's a beautiful that's thing a, you know and yeah. that's the biggest 
compliment I could ever, you know, it's exactly, so. yeah. I mean, inspiring people to sort of break through the stereotypes is it's a powerful thing to be able to do. It's pretty amazing. And I kind of used to say that I was looking forward to the day when I'm not the lady rabbi or the female rabbi, I'm just the yeah. rabbi. Like, it's yeah. not kind of... And in America, I think they're a generation ahead. Like the first um, female rabbi who was ordained has now retired. So they're kind of really in a different place from us in lots of ways and you know I think it will be much easier the female rabbis that have come after it's easier for them than it was for us and hopefully we'll get to a point where it's not going to matter but I think I don't know gender's a really interesting topic look at the very least you know you're you're pioneering for yeah many other young girls but I also want to talk about um, another area that I think you're um, a pioneer in and that is um, being a voice of social justice in the community uh, especially a you know, a, a, a rabbi, as a rabbi, as a religious leader, as a faith leader, being a voice for social justice. So I, I know, for example, I've read a, you know, a lot about um, your beliefs and values on asylum seekers, marriage equality. I'm going to get to each of those issues individually. Mm-hmm. But I want to first understand is, do you think that you have a unique role in our community for being this voice of social justice or this voice of progress? Like, Do you see yourself as, as that as part of your role as a rabbi? Uh, I think absolutely. I think it's I think religion often gets a really bad rap. Mm. Um, we often hear from people, you know, religion causes wars and it causes divisions and it, it creates um, disharmony and disunity between people. And so I think on two levels, religious, it's really important for those religious voices to be heard in that space. Mm. Um, to say, you know what, yes, there have been uh, times when religion has been that divisive, um, you know, element and it has caused... Um, problems but let's look at what it has to say Mm. about these issues in our world today and I also think people think it's irrelevant you know that it's old and it doesn't have anything to say of value and I think that there are eternal teachings that are incredibly wise and more and more we kind of uncover how uh, how valuable they are and how important they are in sort of guiding us to know what to do. I think our world is a really complicated place mm. at the moment. I think um, maybe it always has been, but it feels it particularly feels, yeah. like that at the moment. And I think there's, I was just speaking about it um, the other day on Shabbat. I think that there's this kind of feeling of um, loss of control in the world at the moment. Yeah. Like, you know, it's sort of... Where I look for guidance, where do yeah, I... Yeah, and young people are feeling it and, and older people are feeling it. Like, we're at this kind of this... Shake, it feels like we're on shaky ground mm. somehow and the yeah. things that we assumed, we can't assume anymore. And, Absolutely. And I think that religion in general has a voice and has something to say about that and yeah. can bring comfort, can bring guidance, can bring maybe that stabilising force. Yeah. And I think... Um, what I think is most inspiring about you speaking out as a faith leader on those issues um, is that I think in a at least in our community issues such as asylum seekers and and marriage equality are contentious issues they can divide people Um, certainly at stand up we've even you know got to be you know tread carefully about things that we can say so as to not turn people the wrong way Uh, and and are really careful about um, you know making sure that we're being a strong voice and standing up while still making sure that we aren't dividing um, yes. people in the community. Do you ever think twice about speaking out on contentious issues? Let's use um, marriage equality, you know, specifically as, as a rabbi. Do you ever think about the backlash that might come from that? Um, it depends on the issue. Like some of them, marriage equality for me is 
one of those issues that I feel very passionately about and I'm very secure, I think, on my position. Like, yeah. I, I don't have any doubt. There's no that question about this. For me, I feel like this is the right thing to do and this is what we need to be advocating for. And I try and ground that in my understanding of, of Judaism and tradition and text and what I think that says to me about this issue. And obviously, um, you know, you'll get other rabbis who will read those same texts and come to a different Different, conclusion. Um, But for me, you know, and in terms also of equality in Judaism and that kind of thing, um, I'm pretty strong on those issues. So, yes, I worry. No one likes to say things and have people attack them. And unfortunately, I think in our world, often the person gets attacked rather than their views. So... Um, and with all the social media and all that sort of stuff like it, it becomes yeah, yeah like I googled myself one day and I don't think I'll ever do that again <laughs> that was a big mistake <laughs> I felt alright about myself until I did that <laughs> now not so much so um, so I think you have to develop and, and also I think what you were saying as well um, about I'm not when I speak out I'm speaking out not just as Jackie, I'm speaking out as a leader of a community yeah. and I recognise that there are diverse opinions within not just the broader Jewish community but even in our congregation. Yeah. So um, I think sometimes that's where I hesitate. I'm pretty sure about what I think but sometimes I also need to take into account well, yeah, cause that I'm representing a community. Exactly, because I was kind of thinking to myself, and maybe this is a naive question, but how much of the decisions you make about speaking out on things are um, uniquely sort of, they're your beliefs and you feel like you've got to speak out on it, or you're a representative of a progressive movement of Jews and um, there needs to be a progressive voice and therefore you lend your voice to that as opposed to yourself having those intrinsically individual views? Yeah, it's really tricky. It, it gets tricky when they're not necessarily the same um, or there isn't an articulated position. So, for example, in marriage equality, the progressive movement as a movement has a position. So it makes it quite easy for me because... um, but And before that position came out, it was a bit more difficult because then I'm not representing a movement, I'm Mm. a position, I'm representing kind of myself but kind of not because I recognise that when I speak, I'm not looked at as... Like, people aren't asking me my yeah. opinion because you know I'm a yeah. person who lives in Sydney or whatever like <laughs> yeah. you know, if the, you're a woman or whatever it is an average but citizen yeah that's right they're asking because of my um, position in the world and I think you know interesting you started with my dad but watching my dad in politics also I think gave me a really um, maybe a very hyper aware of the way that things that you say can be twisted, twisted or. or taken in one way when you meant them in another yeah. or um, you know you think you're making a comment about something completely not controversial and all of a sudden awesome. yeah. it becomes controversial yeah. and so um, and that was before social media before the internet like you so know, it's just been exaggerated so yeah I think it's just yeah even bigger yeah because yeah. I know for example you know to the to the answer that you were giving before about how it's hard when your views don't necessarily match with the, the movement or uh, but you feel like that's kind of your place to, to be representative. I know, for example, we um, at Stanford have coordinated a couple of statements on asylum seekers, for example, and we'll seek out rabbis to lend a voice. 
And no doubt I can imagine that the statement that we coordinate might not be the exact views of the rabbis, but we're looking for some sort of consensus. And you know, you might sign that, but you might not agree with everything 100% in that. And so I can understand, but you feel like, well, this is something that I should put my name to because it's yeah. for the general benefit of asylum seekers. So yes. I can imagine that would be, yeah, that'd be a challenge. And sometimes we've had to say no to signing things that in the, for the most part we agree with, but they go maybe further than we're able to, yeah. to say. Like personally, I might think one thing, but as a representative of my community, exactly. I can't put my name to it. And the question is whether a rabbi can ever be an individual and not like I could sign it Rabbi Ninio uh, Emmanuel Synagogue yeah. and then I'm clearly linking myself with my synagogue yeah. but can I ever sign something Jackie Ninio and yeah. not and that not be affiliated be, to yeah and so that's kind of a really tricky yeah. space so I, po- I possibly might not be as um, as radical I don't even know what you have to be more careful but, yeah that's right a bit more circumspect about yeah. what I sign and what I'll speak about publicly yeah when, you know, but from the Bima, I feel very um, comfortable to speak to my community about mm. anything. And then it's clearly my yeah. views to them. Is that unique for you that you get an opportunity every week to speak to a congregation of people about what you're feeling, believing, valuing at that time? It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. You've got a pulpit that's just there every week. That's... It's an incredible privilege, yeah. but I think also it comes with its with a great responsibility. Yeah. Like, and I think you need to... Like, if I'm just getting up every week and talking about what worries me, then it's great therapy, but it's probably yeah. not particularly it's not a good, <laughs> good rabbinic practice. <laughs> so um, some weeks there'll be something that just gets yeah. my goat and I need to speak about it and I need to share it and I do. And yeah. other weeks, you know, and it's always grounded in Torah and it's grounded in the parasha. I'm not just going to go, you know, yeah. I had this really awful drive to work <laughs> today and I want to tell you about yeah. it. Sometimes it starts there, but it usually, and then, yeah, hopefully there's a point. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I would have a congregation for very long if I'm not you, yeah. kind of... Of course. Yeah, but um, yeah, so I think, it, I think that that is a unique opportunity, yeah, for me to bring to people's attention things that I think are significant and important and that yeah. we need to be talking about. Like I might not come up with a, with a, I might not tell them this is what we should think, but often just to raise the issue, I think sometimes it's important to have those conversations. Yeah. I want to talk for a second about going, sort of tracing back to your motivations. Mm-hmm. I know that clearly there's this strong social justice conscience. Um, and of course there's this religious traditional textual influence as well. Is it, did one of them come first? Like, so right now they're merged where you're able to link your rabbinic practice with what you believe and value morally and ethically. Did you think, do you think you had a strong social conscience first and then religion helped you sort of maybe frame that or contextualize it? Or did religion and Judaism lead you towards these moral views? I think a lot of them stem from my parents and the way that they lived their, they lived their lives and the way that they, um, raised me the discussions that we had and their life journeys I think that very much um, influenced the way that I am in the world but I think part of the way they are and the things that they taught me are grounded in Judaism okay so I think as much as that I think they kind of grew together but probably the major first influence was probably um, my parents and my family and my dad's story you know he um, came as a refugee to Australia from Egypt, Egypt and um, 
you know, Pesach was always interesting. He, yeah. said, uh, he said it was really weird for him that he would, his parents were born in Turkey and they moved to Egypt. And he said, there we are in Egypt talking about how happy we were God took us out of Egypt. He said, why did my parents take us back? <laughs> it made no sense to him at all. <laughs> but um, I, I think that uh, that experience of coming here and finding refuge and finding a place of shelter has definitely... But also from that, you know, he he started and came with nothing. Like it's very much yeah. the immigrant story for across the board, you know, that they come with nothing and then... You know, he becomes the Lord Mayor. Like yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's the and, quintessentially inspiring refugee story, really. Right. But always in that, he and my mum used to talk <clears throat> a lot, I think, about um, those issues of equality and welcome. And, um, and you know, we might be the Lord Mayor now, but we weren't always the Lord Mayor, mm. you know. And so we have to always remember and help and be there and be that voice. That's an amazing segue to what I really... Um, that it's a big passion of mine. I think it's it's from what I've read is a big passion of yours as well. Um, I read a piece that you wrote sometime last year, I think it was, um, about asylum seekers and refugees. And I just want to give a quick quote from the article I read because it links so well to what you just said. Uh-oh. And I and I, correct me if I've got anything wrong here, but uh, you said, "Care for the stranger, do not oppress the stranger, love the stranger." Why? Because we know, we understand, we have been there. We know the soul of the stranger. We know what it's like to be alone, to be far from all that is familiar, to be without protection, to be oppressed. We are to care for the stranger for the most deep and visceral of reasons, not out of fear of the stranger, but for the mo- but but uh, not for the fear of punishment, not because God tells us, but rather because we know uh, and understand their plight. We can see ourselves in them. We are the stranger that compels us to act with compassion, care, and love. And so that notion, quote ended, and that's me talking now, <laughs> um, that notion of, we've been there once which you just touched on how much is that a motivational factor for you in what you do I think it's huge and um, that quote you know the soul of the stranger that comes from Torah like it doesn't say that just because it happened to you you should remember it's because you know and you understand and that's why the Pesach Seder is so powerful because Mm. we're all supposed to have that experience through the ritual we're supposed to all begin in that degradation and feel the the release and the joy and the embrace of freedom and I think that that refrain is repeated in the Torah so many times I feel like it's one of the core teachings and values of Judaism and from that everything flows for me yeah I think a, a debate that I think has been circulating in the community well, of recently but I think for a long time has been the notion of never again and what does that really mean uh, and I think a lot of people you know some people um, view it uh, as a uni- universalistic message and other, um, others will view it more um, particularistic. In your mind, how do you see this never again? We were once there, so people say never again. Does that apply? Because some people say you know, that applies, well, Jews, we need to protect ourselves because it can't happen to us again. Um, or, or is it a more universalist message? I think it's more universalist, and I think that's what the Torah was talking about with us coming out of Egypt. Yeah. You know, it's, It doesn't say... You came out of Egypt, so never be slaves yourselves again. Yeah. Like, don't let the Jewish people be ens- or the Israelites be enslaved again. It says, look after the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. Why? Because you were strangers in Egypt, and you know what it feels like. Yeah. So it's not just look after yourselves, but it's take your experience and use that to help you be in the world in yeah. the best way that you can. Yeah, it's amazing to hear that because... Uh, 
yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I tend to agree, but I think it's such a powerful message because not only because it's rooted in, in you know, the texts of, of our traditions, but it's such a very real and recent part of our of our Jewish memory. So that sort of linkage over time about, it, it's so much more relevant today than ever as well because of, you know, what happened 70 odd years ago. But the fact that it's also deep rooted in, in, in our in our text is, I think, really powerful. I want to, um, not to be saw last week, um, just after um, some stuff was going on in the US with the travel ban and the um, alleged uh, Muslim ban that some people are calling it, uh, and 20 rabbis in the US in, in New York were arrested um, for protesting this ban. Uh, and, and last year, I think you, you'd probably be aware, uh, many churches were opening up their doors to asylum seekers to offer sanctuary, effectively a, a physical location um, where asylum seekers who were going to be deported to Nauru could actually live and sleep in these churches. What can you do as a rabbi uh, or as a faith leader? We've just I've just mentioned a couple of examples to make sure that you are as effective as possible at actually creating change. I think in this space or in any... Just generally, generally I guess. Um, I think that's a question we are asking ourselves all the time yeah. because obviously we feel very passionately about these issues and I think that um, we want to be effective, like we want to make change. I yeah. think the, I think we need to, one of the ways we can do that is to, like I said before, at least raise awareness, right? I think a lot of times, a lot of these um, kind of major issues are not in the public discussion and the two you've mentioned are very much now, yeah but, exactly um but i think there are many other you know social issues that are major problems that we just don't talk about so i think part of it is to raise awareness part of it i think is to provide a place where you can hear facts like i think we hear opinions a lot All the time yeah um and you know there's those awful statistics that say that you know you get fed things that agree with you yeah so whenever you click on something no then it'll give you suggest things for you to read that are yeah. all connected to what you've already read exactly. so it's very hard to hear those alternate voices sometimes mm. and so i think we can be that voice but i think we also have to always ground it in judaism in mm. tradition like why are we speaking about this i think because that's who we are as jews and yeah. that's who we are as a people and i think that that way you have an effect but then i think you can't just talk because we talk right. a lot and I think we need to then be on the ground actually yeah. walking the walk as long as talking. Because that was going to be our next question is that rabbis have this amazing ability to influence public discourse because they have this voice and, and respected voice. Uh, but And maybe it's a tough one to answer for you, but to what extent um, are you prepared to take risks um, or maybe you know take contentious actions? Like I mentioned a couple over there that are yeah. very contentious. Yeah arguably illegal um to make it to take a stand where does what's the line for you i think it's really hard to know where that line is because i'm also like i said before i'm not just representing myself i'm i'm yeah. representing a community so perhaps if it was just me i would possibly take action that was more um more risky i guess than, yeah than others but um it's interesting you know there was there's a rabbi in adelaide shoshana kaminsky yeah. i don't know if you've come across her but uh, she was arrested yeah um we protesting organize oh that. did you help yeah. organize that yeah and it was an incredibly powerful yeah 
thing to do and she had the support of her board and her congregation yeah. and, and she said it was interesting like she said that when they all appeared in court um they all had the opportunity to speak and um do you know about this like, no, i don't do know that there's their and, and she said the judge was like had tears in his eyes he right. was so yeah, moved by this, yeah. all these faith leaders speaking about why they did what they did mm. And I guess, you know, you get a whole group of clergy together, they're going to be very yeah. articulate and very passionate. But, you know, in a way, that might have made an even mm. bigger impact than the actual... Yeah. Oh, well, I agree. Itself. And just for the benefit of our listeners, um, what happened was um, a number of faith leaders uh, went into... Um, I can't remember whose office it was at that time, but they, they, there's a movement of faith leaders going into... Um, members of parliament's offices and effectively doing sit-ins where they pray and talk um, about um, the asylum seeker situation um, as a non-violent um, protest uh, and, and really to get that word out. And yeah, I did hear about the, the And what a powerful... Actually, I think the thing that's most powerful about it was it was multi-faith. Exactly. Is that there was, yeah. you know, Jewish, uh, Muslim and Christian leaders who all came together who said our um, faith compels us to, to believe that there needs to be greater compassion for people seeking asylum. And I think that's actually, when you talk about how we can make a difference to effective change, and I think coming together over things like that is an incredibly powerful yeah. way to do it. You know, I just did a, uh, was a representative at a faith um, leaders forum at Parliament House about marriage equality. And again, to have those different faith leaders all speak out about their tradition and what it says on that issue was really, I think, very um, powerful because you don't expect. I think when you go against yeah. what the public expects, yeah, then it's, it's really so powerful. something, yeah, and that we yeah. could come together. We might have different faiths, but we, our, all of our faiths take us to a certain point on yeah. those issues. I feel like that's a really perfect way to, to conclude there. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thanks. Um, I, again, I just want to thank you on behalf of um, people in our community for being a, a voice of inspiration and compassion. Um, so thank you so much, not just for sitting with me today, but for your continued um, speaking out on important issues. Oh, thank you so much. And I hope that together we can uh, work, all of us, to make change. Well, there you have it. To all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed it and got value out of it, please subscribe and please share with your friends and family. We hope to see you back here soon.